Well, that song just hits a little different, don't it? Whew. Lord, that ain't good. I'm already crying. This is a rough start. <laughs> Would y'all pray with me this morning? Father, we are thankful. Lord, you are good to us. And Lord, I thank you that the chains have dropped. Lord, you have removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up and never to remind us again. Lord, you are a forgiving God. And Lord, this morning we just come to your throne of mercy and grace. Lord, we just thank you again for this time together. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the people that make up this church. Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to be up here this morning. Lord, I pray that you speak through me and in me. Lord, Lord, use me as your vessel to pour into as I pour out onto others, Lord. And Lord, I just pray these things in your awesome holy name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and you can have a seat as I dry my face. Happy Father's Day, by the way. I hope y'all have had a great one already. Uh, Daniel, I don't know if, if, if your camera guy can zoom in. Not, not on my face. Uh, but my, my kids brought me some Father's Day socks. I don't know if y'all can. Can y'all see that? I don't know if y'all can zoom in or not. Can you? There we are. How about that? So uh, they bought me some Father's Day socks, and I told them I was going to wear it. They laughed and loved them, and I said, well, I'm going to rock them out anyway. So I don't care what you're wearing today. I trump you because I got my SpongeBob SquarePants socks on. Today, uh, today kind of found, uh, it feels like a, like a family gathering because here's what's happening. It's Father's Day, and, and pe- Preacher always makes a remark about how Mother's Day, we always talk about how great mamas are and how sweet and gentle they are. And then Father's Day comes, and we just talk about how much of a sorry dog we are, and you know, y'all need to improve and work yourselves out. And uh, it's not going to be like that this morning, but it is Father's Day, so we have to acknowledge it. But also in our second service, we're doing our senior recognition. And uh, we have about 25 or so seniors that's going to come and be recognized in the second service. And that's, I, I praise God for that. That's amazing. And so uh, it's kind of in my mind, it's her picture, and this is kind of like a family gathering. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal. And, and I don't know about you, but maybe you can relate to this, but growing up, we had family gatherings, and they were some of my most favorite times uh, growing up, because you would have maybe the, a family reunion or some kind of holiday or July 4th or something like that. Everybody would get together, and, and everybody would be, the cousins would be out there playing in the yard, you know, they'd be playing basketball or baseball, out there hanging out. And the parents and the, and the aunts and uncles and everybody, they're hanging out on the porch or looking off the deck or hanging out inside, and they're just talking about stuff, you know, the weightier things, politics, or talking about marriage and finances and work. And the kids were out there chasing each other with sticks. I mean, it's, it's a great time at those family gatherings. And then the favorite, my most favorite time of the family gathering comes. Food. <laughs> the food time comes. And growing up, I don't know about you, but we always had two different tables. Did y'all have two different tables? You had, you had what was known as the uh, adult table, and you had what was known as the kids' table, right? Now, my kids' tables, when I was growing up, were not this nice. We usually had grandma's card table. It's about to fall apart, and you bump it just a little bit, and the thing goes to wobbling, and your drink goes spilling everywhere. You know what I'm talking about. And so growing up, you had the adult table, and you had the kids' table. And they were different, a lot different, because at the adult table... Usually you had actual real glasses, you had some real plates, you had some real silverware, the portions were bigger at the, at the adult table. At the kids' table, you, you had like Capri Suns, <laughs> you know, those hugs, those, those hugs drinks, anybody know what I'm talking about, the little barrels? Oh, this is kind of embarrassing. Growing up, you know, they just ripped that tinfoil off and you just cut your lip all to pieces because that plastic rim was as sharp as a knife, you know, and so you're just drinking out of this, 
this hugs cup, sharp as all get out. It wasn't until about three weeks ago we was having life group and we bought one of those big boxes of those hug drinks. There's straws in the bottom of them. You just punch it through the... My whole life, my whole life I'm getting cut to pieces like Freddy Krueger, you know, I'm just getting... And I'm like, Mama, just put the straw in this whole time. And so anyways, just caveat to that. But at the kids' table... You have messes, you have spills, but you have a lot of laughter that happens at the kids' table. Everybody's making jokes, and they're poking fun at each other. At the adult table, there's a lot of conversations that are happening about how grandma and grandpa fell in love. And they're talking about how, how, how much trouble your mama used to get in when they were your age, or how much your daddy used to get in trouble when they were your age. And, and there's a lot of things going on here. And here's what I've realized, is the kids' table is missing out what's happening at the adult table. And the adult table is missing out what's happening at the kids' table. And I'm not saying go home and kick your t- kids' tables, you know, burn them. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we each have something to offer to the other. And what I have realized is our churches are looking a lot like the adult table and the kids' table. Growing up, growing up, remember, you had, you had kids' church, but then if you went to the, the main sanctuary, what did you call it? Big church. Right? You're a kid, and whenever it's Sunday morning, you get to go to the, the worship time, you went to big church. Now, again, I'm not saying let's do away with kids' programs. I'm a student pastor. I'm not trying to talk myself out of a job here, okay? But what I'm saying is there's a transition that happens. And today we're going to be honoring and recognizing that transition with our seniors, how they're graduating. And, and for a senior, a high school graduate, this is what happens. The, the transition out of high school is one of the most difficult transitions in their human life, but also in their spiritual life. Because you find out 50 to 70% of kids who graduate high school and have some kind of faith when they graduate completely leave the church. 50 to 70% of kids who graduate leave the church. This is why. This is what happens. Because they come to the kids' table and they're like, I don't, I don't have a spot here anymore. And then you come over here to the adult table. I don't, I don't have a spot here either. And so if you don't have a spot at either table, what do you do? You leave the mill. And so what's happening is we have young people leaving the church because they cannot find a place at the table. And so Jesus actually kind of in a way addresses this issue. And, and, and I'm going to be kind of just referencing real quick. Mark chapter 10. It's not going to be up here. But Mark chapter 10, you find Jesus walking with his disciples, and they're talking about some heavy things. They're talking about divorce. They're talking about money. They're talking about some heavy topics. Well, in chapter 10 of Mark, you find also Jesus is there, and some people start bringing kids to Jesus. All right, if you looked at the conversation Jesus was having with his disciples, you would say he's having some adult table conversations. And then all of a sudden, these kids show up. And what do his disciples try to do? Try to keep the kids away, right? And he says, no, let them come to me. Let the, the kingdom of God is made up of such as these. Let them come to me. What was Jesus doing? He was inviting them to the table. Come on, this is for you too. Come on to the table. I love that Jesus does that. He addresses something that we take so for granted. And so here we are. Here's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time is in Nehemiah. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter, two, chapter 1, because in Nehemiah, we find that everybody has a place at the table. 
So here's what I want you to do. As you're finding Nehemiah, everybody look up at me when you find Nehemiah. When you find Nehemiah, look up at me because I'm going to need your help. Because you have heard Father's Day and you've heard senior recognition. And immediately some of you are like, I'm not graduating and I ain't a daddy. And so you've clicked off. Like, done. No, 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 no. See, I, I, I need your attention because this is for everybody in this place right now. Or this is going to be for everybody, not just seniors, not just fathers. This is for everybody. We all have a challenge this morning. So everybody, I want you to, I want you to pretend you're grabbing a radio knob. Everybody do this. It's going to look awkward, but we're going to embrace the awkward, okay? Here we go. And start, start, start fiddling with the dial a little bit. There you go. You know what you're doing? See, the Holy Spirit's going to speak this morning. You just got to tune into his station. All right, so, so y'all just be willing to listen. Y'all be willing to tune in because God has a word for you this morning. I just want y'all to pay attention, okay? So what's happening, let me set up the scene. In the Old Testament, we find out that God had a chosen people. These chosen people were the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Israelite people. Now, God didn't just choose a people because he wanted to exclude people. He chose these people because he wanted to do a work through these people in order to reach the whole world. So the Israelite people were his chosen people in the Old Testament. And we find that, that through these people, they lived in Egypt in bondage. God delivered them from Egypt and put them in the promised land. And they lived in a promised land for some 400 years, living under a series of judges. And then they got jealous and said, we want a king. Everybody else has got a king. Give us a king. So God gave him a king. His name was Saul. After King Saul came King David. King Saul was kind of a train wreck. King David is arguably the greatest king that Israel ever had. After King David came his son, King Solomon. After King Solomon came his son, King Rehoboam. Under the reign of King Rehoboam, the 12 tribes of Israel divided up into two separate nations, the northern and the, and the southern. The northern was Israel, the southern was Judah. All right, everybody tracking with me? We good? All right, so you have northern Israel, southern Judah. Now, the southern Judah existed as a political empire a lot longer than the northern. For about 135 years longer than Israel, Judah existed at its own government. But then something happened. See, the northern kingdom was attacked and conquered by the Assyrians. And so they were in captivity by the Assyrians, but the southern kingdom was eventually attacked and conquered by the, by the Babylonians. And we find in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, that is not a book, Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, <laughs> go ahead and laugh. All right. In the book of Jeremiah, at the end of Jeremiah, you find that King Nebuchadnezzar took over Jerusalem and destroyed it. Completely just burned the gates, tore down the temple, tore down the walls, destroyed Jerusalem, and then took all the Israelites into bondage. You get to the book of Ezra, and you find out that through, through, through King uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia, he allows the exiled Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to go rebuild their city. And so they go back to Jerusalem, and the very first thing they rebuild is the temple. And this is kind of a bittersweet moment. You can read about it because the older people remember what Solomon's temple looks like. And so they rebuild this temple, and the older people remember Solomon's temple, and they begin to cry. But the younger people begin to rejoice and celebrate because they have the temple again. They're excited. But here's the issue. They rebuild the temple, but leave the walls destroyed. The walls stay broken. And I was challenged when I read this because I find this so true even in our modern day that so many times, as long as we have the church, we're okay to ignore what's broken outside of the church. And this is what happened. They had their gatherings. They had their worship. 
They had everything that they thought they needed as a community of believers. But there was brokenness outside of the church, and they ignored it. And they turned a blind eye to it, and they tolerated it, and walked around the broken remains of the wall, but never picked up a hammer, never picked up a chisel to do anything about it. They just lived like that. And so you get to Nehemiah chapter 1. And this is where we're going to be kind of starting at. Nehemiah gets word. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3. Word gets back to him about the state of what's going on in Jerusalem. Nehemiah 1 3 says this. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So Nehemiah gets word. He gets, he gets upset about this. In chapter 2, we find out that he's so depressed. King Artaxerxes looks at him and says, what's wrong, Nehemiah? He says, my people are in trouble. King, can I, can I just please go back to my hometown? And the king allows him to go back home. But this is what is interesting. This issue in Jerusalem has existed for 15 years. They have lived without a wall for 15 years. In that time period, a city without a wall was useless. It was always prone to attack. It's always prone to destruction. It was always prone to robbery. It was always prone to the chaos outside of the walls. And so this city was always vulnerable to attack. And Nehemiah says, I'm burdened. I want to go back to my city. So King Artaxerxes allows him to go back to his city. And he takes a trip. Verse, chapter 2, verse 17 he actually goes and he looks at the city. Chapter 2, verse 17 says this. He gets the people together. He says, then I said unto them, you see the distress that we are in? In other words, look at the state of our condition. You see what I see? This is what he's saying. How Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no nor reproach. So the title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is Fix What's Broken. Fix what's broken. And point number one, if we're going to fix what's broken, number one, we have to name what is broken. We have to put a name to it. See, the, the world that we live in is full of brokenness. Would you agree? If you watch the news recently, there's brokenness in our world. And there's chaos in our world. And there's hurting people in our world today. And, and, and I give grace and I give space to our high school graduates because I'm asking them questions like, what are you going to do next? And they give me questions. They're like, uh, you know, I'm not going to Wallace for a couple of years. I'm going to get my basics. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about, I mean, I'm working full time now. I don't, I'm just kind of thinking. And so they're trying to scramble, trying to think of what's next. And so I kind of pause it and I say, hey, listen, listen, listen. Let me ask you a question. What kind of problems do you want to fix? That's a different question, right? What kind of problems do you want to fix? Well, you know, I don't know. I never really thought about that. Because if you're spending your whole time just trying to get a job and not trying to fix anything, then that could be a waste of time. And so I said, think of a problem you're wanting to fix and then pursue that. And so that gives them thinking a different way. And, and here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. When, when we look at the church, we cannot be ignorant to the fact that there's brokenness that's happening outside the walls of this church. And the problem is we're afraid to name it sometimes. But if you're not willing to name the problem, then you will never fix the problem. Do you hear what I'm, you're never, If you're never going to name what is broken, you'll never fix what is broken. And so Nehemiah says, don't you see what is broken, church? Let's do something about this. 
See, we need a holy dissatisfaction with what is broken in our world. Too many times we become tolerant and accepted of what's going on, but we need to be dissatisfied with what's happening. Jesus, would you agree, was not a passive, tolerant person. You know, you read the books of, the, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, and John, you find out that Jesus was a man on a mission. He hung out with lepers. He touched lepers. That was a no-no, but he wasn't worried. He touched lepers. He hung out with Samaritan women. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. Man, he turned over, turned over tables in the temple. He was a man on a mission. He wasn't tolerant of what was broken. He pursued it. He made a difference. He made change. And so if we're going to be like him, then it's about time that we don't get tolerant of what's broken. Matter of fact, if I was to ask a question right now, families in this room, families in this room, what is broken in your home right now? And, and don't, don't, don't give me this. Everything's fine. We're fine. Everything's good. You know why I know that's a lie? Because <laughs> we're broken people living in a broken world. But what happens is families get to a place where they just tolerate what's broken. They just ignore it. They tolerate and ignore the lack of communication. They tolerate and ignore the lack of respect. They tolerate and ignore the lack of intentionality. They tolerate and ignore this stuff. And what happens is nothing ever gets fixed. They just tolerate it. They just exist with the brokenness and nothing ever happens. So when we ignore, and you need to hear this, when we ignore the brokenness in our world, we forfeit the right to, infl to influence the world. When you ignore the brokenness in this world, you, you forfeit the right to influence it. We, we do not have influence because we're right. I am 100% in agreement this is the word of God. It's holy and inerrant, God-inspired, God-breathed. We have the answers to every problem right here. We, we have the answers right here. We are right. We're right. But we do not have influence because we are right. We have influence because we care. We care. There's too many voices out there, but not enough caring people to do something about it. We care. And we care because we have a burden. So that's the second point is this. This is right here. Pray for a burden. Pray for a burden. So Nehemiah gets the word. Hey, the city walls are broken down. Starting in verse 7, he begins to pray. And he prays to God in chapter 1, verse 7. Or verse 5, and he goes on. And, and, and he says, I said, beseech thee, O Lord, verse 5, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. And he goes on and begins to pray, reminding that, hey, I know we've let you down, God. I know we've betrayed you. But he goes on in verse 11, he says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And he says, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now this is interesting to me. Nehemiah goes to pray about his city. And then he ends his prayer saying, I was the king's cupbearer. And I was like, that's a weird way to end a prayer. That's a weird way to end a sentence, for I was the king's cupbearer. And then I began to think about this, and I realized what Nehemiah was doing here was not telling God who he was. He was telling God who he was not. What he was saying is, God, my people are hurting. My people are vulnerable. They need a wall. We need to do some work. We need to take some action. But God, I'm not a contractor. I'm not a mason. God, I'm not a builder. God, God I don't have a lot of money. I'm not a rich man. I'm not a king. God, I'm just a servant. 
That's what he was saying. God, we have a problem. We need some help. But I'm just a servant, God. Now, this struck me because this is a truth that everybody in this room needs to understand. You don't have to have a position. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a skill. You don't have to have a a purse full of money. All you need is a burden to get some stuff done. And so young people, older people are like, this is what we need to do. We need to pray for a burden for what's broken. Nehemiah was burdened by what was happening in his city. And if you put Nehemiah in a lineup... And he said, we're going to send some folks to go rebuild this wall. Guaranteed, Nehemiah would not have been your first pick. He was a king's servant. You know what a cupbearer is? He would drink the wine before the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. He's like the lowest man on the totem pole. He's like, he's replaceable. Drink this, make sure I'm not going to die. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, that was his job. Check the food, check the, check the wine, make sure it wasn't poisoned. That was his job. Low man on a totem pole. But he had a burden. And Nehemiah had a burden before he ever took step foot in Jerusalem. Before he ever stepped foot in Jerusalem, he was burdened by Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. And look what he does. He says, so I came to Jerusalem, and I was there three days And I rose in the night, and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. So who put that burden there? God put that burden there. To do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Verse 13, and I went out by night and by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and the dung court, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. So this is what he does. He prays, God, I'm burdened. I'm burdened, God. And God sends him to actually go look at what's broken. This is another point for us to understand. Your perspective changes the closer you get to the problem. See, he heard about the problem, but he hadn't seen it with his own eyes yet. And then he gets to Jerusalem and he gets up one night by himself and walks around the walls by himself with some friends and actually looks at the walls with his own eyes. And let me tell you, perspective changes everything. Proximity affects your perspective. The closer you are to the problem, the bigger the problem seems. And so Nehemiah is looking at this and this burden has brought him to Jerusalem. And now he's looking at it and he's saying, man, we've got to do something about it. I didn't know it was this bad. Look at it. It's destroyed everywhere. Here's what I want to know. I wonder what would happen if enough of us got burdened enough to get close enough to the brokenness and the problems in our world to do something about it. What would happen? What would happen if the church got burdened enough to get close enough to start making some changes that, that would start taking some action and start fixing the brokenness that's happening? Don't get, listen, don't be afraid to get close to what is broken. Don't be afraid to get close to the problem. Because when you get close, you get a new perspective that might help you fix what is broken. Third thing. Third thing is this. Don't get discouraged. You know what happens when you start doing things for God? (laughs) People come after you. The enemy comes after you. Things start happening. And you start doubting, and you start wondering, you start having confusion. So what's happening? Nehemiah chapter 4. Well, there's some, there's some enemies beyond Jerusalem. They go by the name of Samballot and Tobiah. It's a weird name, right? Samballot and Tobiah. 
And they were there working. The Jerusalem people were working. And verse 1 of chapter 4 says, But it came to pass that when Samballot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. He mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. So here's what's happening. Tobiah and Sambalat are outside the walls watching the Jewish people. Man, they're slaving away. Here's the thing. When the walls are destroyed, you've got to move all the, all the broken wall pieces out of the way to start building a new wall. This was hard, heavy work. And I don't know if you've ever been over to Israel. It's hot. <laughs> it's hot all the time. And, and so here's what's happening. They're out there slaving away all day long, moving these stones, moving all this stuff, chiseling away, hammering, working together, setting these stones. And they're out there saying, that's nonsense. Why are you doing that? Why are you working this hard? Tobias says, listen, that wall is so puny. If a fox runs up on it, the whole thing's going to collapse. I mean, just look at it. You're working so hard for what? And if you're an Israelite and you're working and you're hot and you're exhausted and you hear somebody yapping in your ear all the whole time, that don't make no sense. What are you doing? Just go take a break. Hey, just calm down. Put your stuff down because this is nonsense anyways because you're not making any progress. You're not making a difference, okay? What you're doing doesn't matter. Just stop, okay? Because what you're doing is not even making a difference anyways because it's so weak and feeble. So just stop what you're doing. You know what they're doing? They're trying to discourage them. They're trying to discourage them. Now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Israelites had the political, legal, and financial backing of the king of Persia. So for, <laughs> this, is, this is something that I thought was interesting. Samballot and Tobiah couldn't do anything legally or forcefully to make the Israelite people stop what they were doing. Because they were, they were backed by the, by the people of Persia. But they could discourage them. They could discourage them. Life is full of difficult tasks. Would you agree? There's some difficult things. Young people, when you go off to college, you're going to be frustrated. All right, You're going to be frustrated by your professors. You're going to be fr- uh, uh, frustrated by the workload. You're going to be frustrated by the financial burden. You're going to be frustrated by everything that comes with it. You're going to be worn down to the nub. And then... If you're just going to the workforce for all these people in the room that have a job, can I say that having a job is sometimes frustrating? You get frustrating bosses. You got frustrating coworkers. You got people that call out, and now you got to take up their load too. And all of a sudden, it's just frustrating and stressful. And sometimes it's easy to get discouraged. How many times have you come home from work and thinking, I'm quitting tomorrow? I'm done. I'm giving my resignation. I'm done. Okay, I'm done with this. And be like, you are the boss. Like, I don't care. I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. It's discouraging. But add the title Christian to that. A Christian student, a Christian employee, a Christian teacher, a Christian business owner, a Christian doctor. Now, not only do you have the stress that comes with the job and the position and everything else, but now you have the stress of being mocked and criticized and being come against all the time because of your moral convictions and because of your faith and because of your stances. And now, not only are you toting the weight of your job, not only are you toting the weight of the school, but now you're toting the weight of the name of Jesus. And it's easy to get discouraged. And so the people are getting discouraged. And look what Nehemiah does. 
Let me just say this. The thing about discouragement is this. Discouragement, it's not that we become more aware of the bad things. What discouragement is, is it, it takes our focus away from the good things. Where all we see is the bad things. Because life is full of tough things and bad things, but the moment you start losing sight of the good things is the moment you get discouraged. And so what was happening is the Israelite people were losing focus of the good that they were doing because Sambal and Tobiah were in their ear constantly telling them, you're not making a difference. What you're doing doesn't matter. Just put down the rocks. Put down the hammers. Just, just stop. You're not making a difference. And so they're losing focus of the good and focusing on the bad. And Nehemiah does something that I think we all should do. He prays. He prays, verse 4, chapter 4. And this is a prayer, all right? This is one of them angry prayers. Anybody ever prayed angry before? This is an angry prayer. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So this is what he's saying. If you was to boil it down, God, send them to hell. Like that's, that's basically what he's saying. He said, don't forgive them their sins. Make them a prey in the land of captivity. God, send them to hell. That's, that's basically what he's saying. He's angry. God, you, you see what they're doing? Do something about it. Get them, God. Whoop them. That's, that's basically what he's saying. But look what happens. Look what happens. <laughs> Verse 6. So built we the wall. And the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Okay, a few, a few verses before, they were getting discouraged because of all the talk. Nehemiah prays, all of a sudden, into verse 6, they have a mind to work. Now, now, now I, I noticed this. Now, let's think about this. Here's what I noticed about prayer. God, see, Nehemiah said, God, get them. But you know what God did? He got his people. That's what, that's what prayer does. We pray about somebody else. God, do something with them. Do something with them, and God works in us. And all of a sudden, because we don't see a change in Sanballat or Tobiah. We don't see a change in the enemy. What we see is a change in God's people. All of a sudden, they get motivated. All of a sudden, they start doing some work, and it says they connected the walls. All four corners are connected, and it says it's built up half its height. They got some work done because God started doing a move in them. That's why we need to pray. It's not so much that God changes the people. He changes us. He motivates us. He encourages us. And I love that we have this illustration in the word of God to show us that prayer can change things. And prayer can work in us. See, I, I hope you understand that as you pursue God's plan in your life, there will be times you will be discouraged. There will be. All right, I'm going to put it on front street right now. The more you try to live for God, the more discouraged you will get. But you do not need to give up. You just need to pray. Just pray. As you try to pursue future endeavors, if you try to pursue paths that you don't know the outcome on, you're going to get discouraged. Just pray. God will help you. Just pray. So they come up with a new tactic. They realize we can't discourage them. So they come together. Verse 7. It came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Astrodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the, breacher, the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. Verse 8 says, And they conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. So now they're getting, getting a little bit more aggressive. We can't discourage them. Let's go to war. Let's fight them. And so my last point today is this. 
You're going to have to fight sometimes. You're going to have to fight sometimes. As you pursue to try to fix what is broken, as you try to pursue what God has laid on your heart to do, as you get a burden for something, you begin to try to do something about it, you're going to have to fight for it sometimes. You're going to have to do something about it sometimes. And so what happens? Well, there's some spies in the camp that hear about their plans, and they come back and tell Nehemiah, Nehemiah, they're coming. Verse 11, And our adversary said, They shall not know neither see till we come in the midst of them and slay them and cause the work to cease. Nehemiah, they said, they're going to come from everywhere, every part of the wall. They're going to flood our city. They're going to attack us. They're going to kill us. So look what Nehemiah does. Verse 13, Therefore set I in the lower places, behind the wall, and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren. You listen to this. Fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. So what did he do? What did Nehemiah do? Well, (laughs) he gets the families together. Picture this. There's broken places in the walls. They're vulnerable for attack. And so Nehemiah says, I need my families. Where's my families at? Okay, okay. Phillips, you're going to stand here. All right. Stancils, you're going to stand here. Hepton Stalls, I want you over here. Now the Carters, I want you over here. The Sharps over here. And he puts them together by families. And then he looks at him and he says, now fight for your family. Fight for your brother, your sister, your daughter, your son, your husband, your wife, your household. You fight for them. Now this is what I picture in my mind. I see a 13-year-old boy with a knife standing next to his dad in the middle of the night. They don't know what's about to happen. They don't know what's about to come over that wall. They're just standing there pitch dark. They're fighting together. They're fighting together. See, this is what I realized. We have a great pastor. Pastor Malcolm is gifted and anointed. He's a man of God. I love love that man. He's a great pastor. Dustin Phillips is the smartest man I know. I'm not saying that for a raise because he won't give one anyways. But Dustin Phillips <laughs> is the smartest man I know. Josh Stansel does a phenomenal job with our kids. Mindy Ward does a phenomenal job with our toddlers. I'm amazing, all right? And so this is the thing. <laughs> as good as we are as a staff, we can't fix what is broken without our families. And we need our families to fight together, to stand in the broken places, in the gaps in the walls, and say, let's fight and do this together. Come together. So, So listen to me. Young people in this room, this is your Old Testament invitation to come to the table. All right, this is what's happening. This is what God is doing. He says, no, no, you come join the adult table right now because we need you. We need you right now. We got a war to fight. We got brokenness in our cities. We got brokenness in our world. And we need some young people to come to the fight and help us win. So listen, if ever you thought that you didn't have a place in this church, I want to tell you, we need you. We need you to fight. We need you to join arms together and go to war with us. And this is what happens. Sinballat and Tobiah realize that there's, fa- there's families in the gaps and they can't conquer the walls like they wanted to, so they give up. 
and they run away. Because the families were willing to fight, the enemy ran. (laughs) Y'all didn't hear me. Y'all didn't hear me. Because the families were willing to fight, the enemy ran away. All right, do you hear what I'm saying? (laughs) Imagine what would happen if we started putting tables together in our churches and saying we need our families to stand and fight. Listen, fathers, I know I was going to leave you alone, but I can't. It's Father's Day. Fathers, you need to fight for your kids. You need to fight for your wife. Fight for your marriage. There's enough passive, clueless, absent fathers out there. We need some real men to step up and take a position in their families where they're going to say, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight to help fix what is broken. I'm going to fight. The church will thrive if we come together. As a matter of fact, I, I, I don't even know we have any volunteers in here. Do I have any, any, anybody who's ever volunteered in children's programs, teen programs, anything of that nature, from babies to teenagers? Has anybody in this room ever done that? Just raise your hand. All right. If you would, stand up real quick. Uh, you didn't think I was going to make you stand up. Stand up. It's called a bait and switch. All right. Now, everybody look around this room. If you've ever, not, not just in just church, but just church in general, you've, you've helped out in some kind of capacity in children's. See, see, this is what, I, y'all keep standing. See, this is what I want y'all to understand. Every family has that crazy uncle or that crazy aunt. You know what I'm talking about? The, the crazy uncle, crazy aunt that just does random weird things. And, and, and sometimes maybe that crazy uncle is like, you know what? Let's get the kids over here. And he scoots a table over there to the table and puts them with the adult table at the cookout. He says, we, we need them over here with us. That the crazy uncle, everybody look around. These are the crazy aunts and uncles. This is who they are. Why am I saying that? Because these are the ones that help the kids get to the adult table. These are the ones who help prepare them for real life and to be a part of the church. These are the crazy aunts and uncles that we have influencing our families. And can I just be transparent? We need more crazy aunts and uncles. We do. We need more crazy aunts and uncles to help influence our church. Y'all can have a seat. Thank y'all. We need more people like them to stand in the gaps, to prepare our kids to come to the table. This impossible task, by the way, going back to Nehemiah. Remember, remember the people of Jerusalem lived with broken walls for like 15 years. Remember that? The walls were destroyed. They weren't doing anything about it. They were just ignoring it. 15 years they did that. Nehemiah, with a burden, rallied families together to go stand in the gaps to fix what is broken. Do you know how long it took him to build these walls? 52 days. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 says this, So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul in 50 and 2 days. God, this is so hard. This is impossible. We're never going to do it in less than two months. Nehemiah did what they couldn't do in 15 years because he was burdened. People were burdened. They moved together. They fought together. They prayed when they got discouraged, and they got the job done. How about church? We get motivated to start fixing things that's broken and work together with our families and do some things.